scripture comes from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 16. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is the word of the Lord. Let's get into it. Our time is getting tight, um, and we have a complex uh, but very direct and practical word from, from the Bible, and uh, this is part 11 of our series on biblical justice, and if you've been following, the Bible has repeated emphasis on three classes of people that we must defend, and um, and particularly be caring for that they would become, they would not slip into the cracks of society and become exploited and, and hurt. And those are the fatherless, the widow, and the third class will be like the minority. This is the third and final message that I'd like to give and talk about widows. And, um, and then next week we'll move into the subject of the minority. Now, there's, you know, there's so many things that could be said. And really, honestly, this series could go 20, 30 ser- messages long. But we, we, you know, for just for the sake of time, we do need to learn other things too. Okay, so, um, you know, I'm going to wrap it up on the widow portion today. Um, with this message, I've entitled The Widow-Making Society. The Widow-Making Society. Um, the question of widows is not only about... Um, a woman who married a man and then he died. And it's, it's a bigger and broader question than that. And really has a lot to do with how women um, have to face really difficult choices. And it really, even though the passage doesn't directly address it, it really has a lot to do with manhood. Last week, um, it, it was pretty tough to give you a message where, you know, the first subject matter was, it was about sexual assault. I, I'm, I'm, right off the bat, I'm talking to you about rape. The Bible talks about rape. Let's talk about that. And to say that to my computer, that, that was pretty tough. Um, so, but, you know, I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but that was the opening portion of last week's message. It was about sexual assault. That women who don't have belonging and have a community... Of, of righteous men, of Boazes. You know, I started off this 
this service today quoting words from a very righteous man who is a, the epitome of justice for the widow in the Bible. Um, his name is Boaz. And there's not enough Boazes, there's not enough Naomi's, who's the mother-in-law of Ruth, who also is a, uh, a widow, who could give wisdom and protection uh, to a young, vulnerable woman. There are many, many young, vulnerable women in our culture today, but there's not enough Naomi's and Boazes. And the first portion of that message last week, I was basically talking about the, the most basic piece of danger and injustice to vulnerable women, which is rape, which is sexual assault. You know, just, I don't think rape is one thing. In the Bible, they don't use that word rape, but, you know, just a whole slew of, uh, of sexual gross sins that our culture just kind of calls assault or harassment. I think the Bible would consider all utterly wicked. Um, that was the first portion. And the second portion, I don't know if you remember this, I, 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 um, I talked about, I quoted from this, uh, this uh, really provocative article um, by this woman named Lori Gottlieb. And really what it was about was difficult choices men, uh, women have to make, face in our culture. And that's what this message I want to pick up on. In the widow-making society, it is a message I really want to um, offer. The, the Bible is explicitly talking about widows. And some of the words are tough. Um, but really, I think underlying all of it is the problem of manhood. That's, that's, you know, these are not fun things to talk about, but they're needed. The injustice to widows, I'll get to that in a moment here, in our society is really a function about, of the fact that manhood is seriously broken in our society. That we don't really have enough real men that manhood is missing. That's the problem. And since manhood is missing, women get exploited in just all kinds of different ways. And they feel weak and they're tempted to make just poor decisions. They're tempted to make poor decisions. And regularly women today that you wouldn't normally think of as a widow, I think the Bible would classify something like a widow. And then they're tempted to make Bad decisions. And this passage addresses that subject matter. Okay? Um, that's a bit of a mouthful to get into wh why we're looking at this passage. And I want to frame this because some of this passage is it's, it's like, whoa. And, um, and maybe, you know, disturbing and maybe even offensive to you. But there's deep wisdom in this passage. Okay? Let's get at it. Part one. Who are truly widows according to the Bible? That's what... 1 Timothy 5.3 just talks about. The widow is a truly a widow. So who are truly widows according to the Bible? According to God's word, not man's word. Okay. Part two. The hard choices vulnerable women face. So every generation, our, our society is really awful about this. This idea that there aren't men who are men and women who are women. I mean, like today that, you know, it's like, you know, choose your pronouns. You know, there's like supposed to be like eight different genders. Uh, you know, I, this is really offensive. If, I know if you, if you believe that, there, there aren't. Okay, the Bible is very clear. There's two, okay? And, and if you look at the world, there's two. Men are men and women are women. And they have different sin problems. And they have different needs. 
And to not recognize that is to have profound just foolishness in the world. People are not just abstract individuals and the individuals can just choose everything that they want. That's not how it works. Men are men and women are women and men have very particular sin issues. Very, not every single man, but like 95% of them, okay? And, and then similarly women too. And there's wisdom here in this passage. So part two, the hard choices vulnerable women face. And some of that's addressed here. In part three, we need some really good news. And I really want to pick up from last week where I started talking about um, the ultimate bridegroom. The healing of the sexes, that is men and women. The healing of manhood and womanhood from the ultimate bridegroom. And uh, those of you who know who that is, that's Jesus, okay? Let's get into that. Part one, who are truly widows according to the Bible? So here's how it puts us in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. It immediately opens up this subject matter. Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. That's, that's strange. <laughs> there's widows and there's true widows. Um, well, what does that mean? So it goes on, verse 4, and I already kind of said some of this to you, and maybe you could pick this up. This is the whole attitude of the whole Old Testament. And so here, this is the Apostle Paul teaching a younger pastor, Timothy, how to lead the church. So this is just, think of this as God's, you know, like one of the great founders of the, of the Christian church, teaching all other pastors. So if you, you know, like I'm a Timothy, I have to learn from Paul how to learn to be a pastor. And, um, but all he's doing is just channeling the Old Testament's wisdom here, okay? And here's what he's saying. Verse 4, if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So what is the first form of defense of a widow? The first form of care and defense of the widow is the children and the grandchildren, right away. It's family. And um, our culture doesn't understand this at all. Our culture doesn't understand that if you want to defend vulnerable women, um, the first thing they need is family. Not government, not protests, not politics, family. In our society, education, media, government, politics, the first thing they do is destroy the family. <laughs> they unravel the family. So our society is like, so many things in our culture is geared to unravel the family. You know, what that, you know who pays for that? Women pay for that. So our society has um, rampant single mothers. You know what a single mother is? It's a woman who's vulnerable. She has kids. Every culture knows that a woman can get pregnant. <laughs> and you don't solve pregnancy by killing the baby. That's how every society, I mean, like every normal, decent society, that's how they think. Well, until now. Until now. Now the modern day society, it's not just America, it's not just European countries, China, India, a lot of people think that like abortion is, is, is a good thing for women. It's, it's not great for women in India and China, and it's not great for unborn women in India and China they tend to kill unborn women. 
abortion is a great, you know, it's a great vehicle in the world to kill women. So it's like the vulnerability is in the womb. So this just, just absolute basic fact of life is that women get pregnant. And women, let, let, let's, let's put it this way. Women are the very, like, they're the very, very, their womb is the very way that life goes on. Let's put it a little bit differently. If you're a man and you think that a woman is, is a sexual object, you really pretty much deserve to go to hell. <laughs> because all men who think that women are sexual objects don't understand the most fundamental reality about women is that without women giving birth, we all die. <laughs> Period. That's it. There is no human life. There is no culture. There is no meaning. If women do not give birth and women will not become mothers, we all die and we're nothing. Any normal, decent society knows that and every man in that society knows that. And every man in that society, if he doesn't look at all the women as the most precious people in the society, that, will, that if she doesn't, get to do this great gift, our people die out. So every man has to get up and like, hello. You, you want to know why the men, this is why like an older generation, people look at this and go, oh, this is some old-fashioned idea. You know, the Titanic's going down. All the men die with the boat, but the women and children get to go on, you know, get, get, get their lives saved. You don't need to be a Christian to understand why that's the case. That's, 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 you know, from the Bible, absolutely. If we decide who's going to die, the men die. The women and children live. Why? Because then our people go on. Every man knows his duty is to stand up. And when our people and our women are at stake, we die. If you don't get that, you're not a real man. Period. I just, just, that's it. I don't think you need to be a Christian to understand that. You just have to understand the facts of life and then draw a wise conclusion. And in any decent society, even if you're not Christian, there's lots of Hindus. <laughs> there's lots of atheists around the world. They're going to listen to a sermon. They're like, yeah, that dude is speaking truth. I hope so. But there's lots of people in our society, they're probably going to be angry for listening to what I just said. So, okay, let me calm down now. I'm getting kind of upset, okay? Um, so, first line of defense, how do you have justice in society for widows? Family. And the Bible is very serious about this. It goes on to say, um, so, she, verse 5, she who is truly a widow, left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. That's a widow. From the Bible's point of view, she's left all alone. Where is her hope? God. I said a few messages, the widow is vulnerable economically. The, the widow is vulnerable physically. The widow is vulnerable in her emotions because she doesn't have belonging. Anyone to love and to love her, to give her a purpose and to give her a meaning and to say, we need you. We value you. 
Every human being wants to be needed and to be valued. They do. And, and women are so deeply relational, they get that better than men. Men are really kind of foolish on this. Okay, men go, oh, I gotta get there and make money, and then I'm valued. The women immediately know they're very relational, so they know that somebody has to say to you, we need you. We value you. And if a woman's all alone, she doesn't even have that. So night and day, night and day, this is the way the Bible puts it, she only has God. <laughs> See? That's a widow. That's what we're talking about. Verse 6. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. What? <laughs> That's weird. Okay, just, just a moment, all right? Um, verse 7. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I'm going to say something to you and how you should think about yourself as a member of your family. And then I'm going to say a little something toward women and this is going to take me into part two of my message, okay? Um, why this has this tough thing about she's self-indulgent and she's even dead while she lives. I mean, whoa! <laughs> That is not very compassionate language here. It's, it's like in your face. But let me just say a little something about this. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the face, faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The first defense of justice, true justice for the widow is the family. If you have a member of your family and you leave her all alone, economically, physically, emotionally, relationally, and of course, that makes her sexually vulnerable too. You're wicked. These are, you think you're a Christian? You're, you're, you're wicked. You're, you're worse than an unbeliever. Even the unbelievers know you're not supposed to do this. So first form of defense for real justice for widows is family. Brothers and sisters, some of you come from Christian families. And if you call yourself a Christian family, this is God's call for defense. Real justice. You have an aunt, you got a cousin. Something the bottom drops out in their life. Make sure they don't become a widow. Chapter 5, verse 3 kind of widows. All right? And if you don't, and if you neglect that, God's not going to be very happy with you. Please, just, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to get super heavy on that. But all families, that's how you should think. And today, the brokenness of the family, this, this intense desire for autonomy, I don't owe anybody else, that, that just don't believe that. I don't owe anybody else. If that comes in your own mind, you get that, I don't owe anybody else. I don't owe anybody else. That's the devil. If you say that to yourself in your mind, you're believing the devil. You're a slave of the devil. Don't believe that. If you hear that on TV, you see that in a movie, you hear that in a song, it's from the devil. Do not believe that. All, everybody should start thinking about their family. And then all the men should just think about women in general. That's how it should be. That's a truly just society. Now let me just say something else. 
She who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. That's really, okay, wow, that's, that's tough. And um, this is going to take us into part two, which is that if a widow won't turn to God, a widow, a, a, a tremendously vulnerable woman who doesn't have anybody to help her in her life, um, if she turns to herself, I think that's what the Bible calls self-indulgent. All, there's all kinds of temptations that are going to come about. The primary temptation is to end up with a man who ain't much of a man. That's the primary temptation. This is what the Bible calls self-indulgent. And the warning from the Bible is very serious. It's like you're basically asking for death, even though you're alive. And that is the plight of the widow. That's what the widow is facing. And here, let me say this one more before I go to part two. Women all around our society is facing that. Because we break the family, because we destroy marriage, and because we are such an honorable-less culture where everybody's so selfishly thinking about from themselves, and we don't feel like what we owe other people, that then, you know, we self-righteously get up and we want to protest about justice? What the heck are you talking about? That's like so many of our people today. Are, it's a, there's all these people today who want to go up and protest about justice while we produce an unjust society. We are a widow-making society. And the widows aren't even married yet. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Before a woman even gets married and then her husband dies, she's already in this situation. You already have people like this in their situation. You got young girls. She's 16. Her dad is in prison. And mom is working many, many, many hours. Or maybe mom is depressed and she works hours and she might have an alcohol issue. She's already slipping right into the widow world. And she's 16 years old. She's not married. And then... Where is she? Who's going to help her? Who's going to be with her? She's just deeply lonely. She's looking for purpose. And there's tremendous temptations. And then the Bible warns her, don't be self-indulgent. You're asking for death. This is, this is what so many women in our culture face. This is what we're about. This, this is just America. It's not only America. Lots of countries are like this. And um, so, okay, let's go to part two. Part two. Part two. The hard choices vulnerable women face. So uh, I want to make a comment about this. We're going to go to the next set of verses. And it gets into this. um, So if you thought that one verse about self-indulgent, you know, toward, you know, accusing widows of being potential. If you thought that was a tough, okay, it's, it, gets, it gets worse. Okay, it's about to get tougher. And I want to say something here. Um, what this call here is, it's a call for women, even if they are in a very, very vulnerable and desperate place. And lots of women end up here. Young women, women of 20, I mean, you just name it. They end up in this place. The call in the Bible is, Call on God. Turn to God. And, and it's a call to a certain virtue. Live a certain virtuousness. Now I want to say something else. There's a, an issue that's being brought up. 
in this next set of verses, which is about who to enroll. And enroll means, it's, it's not complicated. All it really simply means is she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a dad. She doesn't have a son. Not even grandchildren can take care of her. Who's going to take care of her? The church will take care of her. You know what the enroll means? That means now you enroll her so that the church will take care of her. That's what it means. So the idea, you know, long before there was such a thing as the welfare state, there was no welfare state. The government was utterly laissez-faire. No money for the government, for anybody who was really poor and desperate. You know who gave the first true welfare? The church. But it's better than welfare. Much better than welfare. Because it wasn't just about money. Because you got a family. See, you don't have a family. Real justice. Last line of defense. The church will be your family. That's justice. See, that's justice. So the real justice, it needs the church. And um, I know all of our secular neighbors, they just think the church is irrelevant. I just want to make this little bit piece of commentary before I get in, back to the word. Our society thinks that the government, if you just give them enough money, they could fix all the problems. You put the smart people up there, let's come up with bureaucratic systems, just keep raising more and more money, and we can solve all the problems. It does not work. It does not work. You know, Lyndon Johnson started this thing called the, I think he called, what did he call it, the Great Society or something like this? And he pretty much said, we will end poverty. End poverty. And then over the years, they spent like a trillion dollars. Today, we just spent like a trillion dollars for, I mean, it's crazy. All right? It doesn't work. Do we, did we, have we solved poverty? It's worse. It's worse because we destroyed the family. And now we treat the church. And the church over the years now, because... So now, if, a, if, if, if a, there's a vulnerable woman, she shouldn't have family, shouldn't have a husband, shouldn't have children, shouldn't have grandson, grand, granddaughters, we go, oh, the government will take care of it. How's that working? It's working horribly. Because there's no family, because the government's not family. And when the church is now, because we think the government will take care of it, so now let me get a little mean here. The churches suck. The churches won't do this. The churches go, well, the government takes an ch X chunk of our money. We don't have enough money to give to our church anymore. So I guess we can't do this. Let me just ask you something. Do you really want to say that to Jesus? Church. You get before Jesus. Now, I, I know this sounds like really guilty and fear-based, but I'm just getting really real here. Church, when you get before Jesus, are you going to say, well, the government took a lot of our money. You told us to pay our taxes. There wasn't any money left over for widows. I don't want to say that to Jesus. And I'm not trying to guilt you here, but this is a, just right in there in the Bible's call for the church. Okay? And so, you know, we're a grace-motivated church. But a little fear is not bad, <laughs> okay? The, sometimes the grace of God starts from the fear of God. So let's get, let's get into verse, the next verse. 
The next verse goes like this. Verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled. Here we go. If she is not less than 60 years of age, that means if you're young and you could work. I mean, so if she's over 60, you, you, you know, you're probably immediately going to enroll her, right? But having been the wife of one husband, but now there's conditions. It's really interesting. And having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. What kind of widows do we want? We want godly widows. What, what is a woman who doesn't have a family, what should she be doing with her life? This is, that's it. Here we go. From the church's point, from the Bible's point of view, if you don't have family, you've got lots to do. You've got plenty to do. If things like washing the feet of the saints and caring for the afflicted, and devoting yourself to every good work. So if the church will support you and be your family, there's no such thing as just sitting around. <laughs> and our, our culture is like, we'll just give you a check, and if you don't want to work, then I guess that's okay. Not in the Bible. <laughs> Not in the Bible. Everybody has purpose. Everybody has something to contribute. And it's beautiful. Right? There's no welfare state. There's no condescension in the Bible. Right? But then it goes on to say this difficult thing. And here, let me get into this issue of the difficult choices women face. But refuse to enroll younger widows, verse 11, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation from having abandoned their former faith. That's really interesting. Then they go into the idlers and they go around and gossip. That's what goes on. So this is really confusing. Because you go to verse 14. And verse 14 says, So I, that's you know, Paul as, as the leader of the church, says, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Paul, you're just confused. You're confusing. Didn't you just say that the younger widow, she's going to want to get married. She's going to have these passions. And then, you know, she's going to want to get married. And, it's going to and then she's going to somehow abandon her faith. And then you turn around in verse 14 and you say, but then I would rather, you know, what she should do is get married. And so if you just immediately look at the, this thing, it, it's confusing. Now, let me try to unpack this a bit. I mean, I, you know, I read the different commentary of different scholars. I'll give you the, the position that I think makes the most sense. There is no welfare state. So, in a very family-oriented society, which is pretty much every society, except Western society, right? Western societies. Almost every society is highly family-oriented. In a family-oriented society, what is the natural thing for women to do? Well, she wants to be married. Now, just think about this time. In this time, how many Christian men do you think there are? The church is new. How many Christian men do you think there are? The Bible is also very serious about this. Women don't go marry on Christian men, non-Christian men. So what I think this is addressing right here is if the woman is in a really like a lonely place, truly a widow, the natural thing is she's immediately wanting to go find another man. But 
she's going to be tempted to go find an ungodly man. And that's not a good and wise thing for her. I think that's what the passage is saying. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit more. Um, Refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ. In the modern day, we always say passion. That means, you know, we just have this really, we feel something really, really strongly. And for us, a passion, since we sometimes feel something, everything so tepidly, if we are passionate about anything, we're like, that must be real. We tend to think a passion is always a good thing. But in the Bible, a passion is always a bad thing. A passion is an out of control, a disordered desire and emotion. So it's not just saying that she has um, like sexual desires or emotional desires. It's like all her desires are all out of whack. So she might start, what it's, it's, the accusation is something like this. She's like, I need a man, otherwise I'm going to be poor. You know, my hope is to have a man. So just think about that. I need, I need to get married. That's my hope. Not, I need the Lord. See? If a person immediately goes, I'm poor and I'm alone and I need a man, your desire for a man over the Lord, that's disordered. <laughs> it's out of whack. The Bible, Paul would clearly say, that's a passion. That's bad. And that's going to be the common thing that almost any woman in that situation will face. And of course, it's understandable. It's very, very understandable. But nonetheless, it's still a trap. Now, let me say something else about this too. What if the churches are so bad they won't be there for the women? Man, that, 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 no wonder women don't turn to God because the churches won't even be there for them. That was a profound failure of the church. We all must deeply repent if we are a church where a woman who's in this situation won't think her church will be there for her. But instead, she should know that if I don't turn and just immediately find the first available warm-bodied man who will take me in, instead, give my trust to Jesus I have another family. I have God's justice. I've got the church's family, my eternal family. See, that's how it should be. There should be a Boaz in the church. There should be Boazes and Naomi's in the church all the time. Boaz is this man. I mean, I, I, I want to just, just continue on the book of Ruth because he's such a compelling and beautiful example and if there's Boazes in the church, a woman doesn't have to go look outside the church to go find a non-Boaz for some dumb crumb of a loser dude who's not Boaz. So one of the first things that's really, really important is women should turn to the ultimate Boaz, the great defender of all vulnerable women, the one greater than Boaz. Boaz points toward Jesus. So she should point herself, her eyes toward the ultimate man, Jesus. And then when she begins to see what real manhood looks like in Jesus, then she can look around and then she's in the church. She's like, well, well there's Boaz's here. I don't know. Maybe the Lord will lead me to one of them. And if maybe my Boaz is in, is in this congregation, he might be in that congregation or that congregation or that congregation because the church is all God's family. 
the true Israel, the true people and culture are just not a widow-making culture, the widow-redeeming culture. See? But instead, what we have is immediately women become widows. With the, not widows, like I'm just talking like, you know, your husband died, but you're single and you're a widow. You're all alone and you're a widow because, you know, our society just makes widows. And so many women today, they immediately just look around and go, I need a man. And today we don't even even have marriage. So then they get this boyfriend. And then, of course, she has to sleep with this boyfriend. And then next thing you know, you know, live with this boyfriend. He doesn't want to give you one of these. But you're living with this boyfriend. And, you're plunk- and then you have a baby with this boyfriend. And then three, four, five, six, seven. And then he gets tired of you because the next pretty young girl comes along. And now that woman is truly a widow. Exactly what the Bible says. She's like dead even though she's alive. And now where she is now is even worse than where she was before. Because she ended up with the man who was far below Boaz. You understand? This is the wisdom of the Bible. Now ladies, I know this is tough. You know, I'm, I'm being kind of blunt here. And the Bible is being really blunt here. Now I'm going to say something about this. Ours is a super sentimental and condescending society. The, especially the richer and, and, and you know, better off people in our society, we look at poor people and immediately we just give them pity. Oh, they have a hard life. You can't ask them any real questions and you can't you know, ask them to have any real standards and call them toward wisdom. Immediately we just go, here's a check and we won't mention anything and then we'll be non-judgmental. That's, what we, that's the word we use. Non-judgmental sounds good, but all it really just means is we won't love you enough to ask you any real questions. We'll just pity you and condescend to you. The Bible's not like that. God will say, you're in a difficult place. Young lady, you're in a difficult place. You need some real wisdom. And you need to make some real choices. And there's hope. And that hope is in Jesus and his people, if they will live according to real justice. But if you will live according to the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of your own mind, you're going to end up in an even worse place than you ever thought. And women all around, this is happening. In fact, it's all completely normal. And this is a, a really tough thing. Now, I want to say just a couple more things, and we've got to get to the gospel. I know we're running out of time. <laughs> This is happening all around the world. And really the, the deep problem is, as I said, the problem is manhood. So I read this really brilliant author. His name is uh, David P. Goldman. He's not a Christian. Brilliant Jewish guy. And there's this place in one of his books where he said something like this. He says, every generation of men and women deserve each other. That's the way he put it. Every generation of Men and women deserve each other. And I thought about that. I was like, I think I know what he means. I think he means this. If the men have no manhood and they're gross 
disgusting perverts who use women. You know what the women become? They become cheap and used and loose. So the women become bad women. So you get loser men and you get loser women. You get no manhood, then womanhood just goes just right into the tank. That's happening in societies all around the world. It's certainly the case in our society. That's the widow-making society. And I will say to you this, but if the men will be men, some of the women will find hope, will find encouragement. And they'll remember there's an ultimate man. There's great hope in the manhood of real justice in Jesus. And then they can begin to understand the wisdom of 1 Timothy chapter 5. And now we have a whole new bright shining culture. My wife and I are friends with um, a woman we know. She's a, she's a pastor's wife and she's from Venezuela. She said this many years ago. We were hanging out with her and she says, in Venezuela, the men don't get married. They just don't get married. And so if you're in the church and you believe in Jesus, all the women are so nervous and they teach you when you're really young, don't, you know, don't just like end up with any old man. But they, all the women, they're all they're very young and they all want to grow up and they all want to become mothers. They all want to have a husband, but none of the men want to be husbands. And so she goes, we pray really hard. Lord, lead me to a godly man. And, and then, but they all are afraid because then they just look around at all the, the Christian women, the Christian women in the church. And one after and after another, they end up, you know, Marrying this guy who's not a Christian or like not even marrying this guy and ends up just, you know, living with this guy or, you know, like not even living with this guy and then having, having a baby. And it just becomes terrible for the society. Apparently that's Venezuela. It's America. That's an unjust society. Huh. Let me close with some good news. You know what we need? I, I don't think the answer is um, we got to fix both sexes, manhood and womanhood. I actually think the answer is simpler than that. The answer is fix manhood. That's the answer. The men are supposed to pursue the women. The women are kind of, they always want some man to pursue her and cherish her and say, I'll die for you. Give you the ring and I'll die for you. So the men have to do the pursuing. So you know what? The initiative is with the man. Now I know there's supposed to be some men out there, you know, we're equal, equal. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm so, I'm not just old fashioned. I think that's nonsense, okay? That's never going to happen. <laughs> Where the men will pursue the women as, women will pursue the men as equally as, the, come on, come on, just, okay, that's, it's, Okay, I don't mean to be mean. If you believe in that, I'm sorry. You're just, it's not going to work, okay? The men have to pursue. So you know where it starts? It starts with the men. It starts with real manhood. And when the first, the real men will say, I'll die for my women, my woman, and I'll die for all the women around me, for God has called me to that then all the women in that mist will say, what kind of a woman do you want to marry? What kind of a woman do you believe that you should die for? And they'll say, I want to be that kind of woman. See, that's how it works. 
I'm not even telling you the gospel. I'm just telling you just like social facts. Don't you think this will work? What I just said, don't you think that will work? It will absolutely work. Thing is, where is the power that will make the men real men? Where is the power so that the men will stop being a bunch of perverted boys? Because today we got men who say they're men, but they're 25 and 35 and 45 and now 55 and 65-year-old perversions. Perverted little boys. That's what we got instead of real men. But there is a real power to get to real manhood and it will heal both manhood and womanhood and then we'll get justice. See, that's, that's where it goes. I'll take you to the place in the Bible. I wanted to say this last week, but I just kind of ran out of time, of course. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Let's get back to this. I said this last week. Let me get to this and then we'll close. Revelation verse 19 says this. This is the Apostle John talking about this vision, this ultimate vision about the healing of the world. And the healing of the world is a marriage. It's a marriage. See, not the widow, not on your own, but a marriage. Verse 6. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. That's all the nations. That's the multitude. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So she's not a widow anymore. She's not a widow maker anymore. She's a bride. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Ladies, when you read this, I hope you hear. There's a way to be a glorious woman. And there's a picture of that in 1 Timothy 5. But in there, men, there's a way for us to put on the fine linen to be real men. And verse 9, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Well, it's actually Revelation 18, sorry. <laughs> Revelation 18, verses 6 through 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here is the hope for the widows. There is a marriage. In that marriage, there's one. Here's the way I want to close by saying the gospel to close. There was one who was greater than Boaz. He was the most manly man there ever was. He was the most pure and righteous manhood that we could possibly ever hope for. He looked at a very desperate widow woman. That was the church. Her culture, her thoughts, her wisdom was to just be self-indulgent. She looked around at her own resources. Let's just use government. Let's just end up with this man. I mean, he's, I mean, you know, I just have to like live with him, but whatever. And this is kind of the answer of a people. We are like widows. That's why we are widow makers. But the greatest manhood came to marry us. 
take upon all our poverty and all our injustice and all our wickedness and all our blindness and foolishness to clean us, to wash us, to forgive us, and to put on a new clothes. And all the men who run to Jesus can get his manhood. And when they get his manhood, all the women could then can put on his kind of womanhood. And we'll have a very powerful and beautiful and compelling society of justice. This is our hope. Revive church, let's be the church. We may not be big. We may not have a lot of money. But if we will have walk in faith, he will give us all that we need and then some. Do you believe that? He'll give us all that we need and then some. That is the hope of all widows. You're a widow. One greater than Boaz comes. He says, I know you're desperate. But I'll cover up all your need and then some. This is the promise of Jesus. Let's be his church and his bride for all the desperate women who walk into our midst and all the lonely men even. Let's be a just church. Let's pray. Lord, we live in such, we are widow-making churches, which is more like we're widows and not brides. We are a widow-making culture filled with injustice and wickedness. Rampant sexuality which tempts women to dress like prostitutes even though they're not even prostitutes. Turning the men into perverts. It's all completely normal and destroying family, destroying marriage, destroying children, making children fatherless, rampantly spreading injustice. And we are so lacking in love, justice, truth, courage, wisdom. We are such a desperately lost people. And yet, Lord Jesus, may we believe you have come to marry us and you will never leave us or forsake us. And you will give us all that we need and then some to be your bride, to be true men, and true women, bright and radiant and shining, glorious like you. In Jesus' name, amen.